Well, very pleasant good morning to each one of you. If you want to open your Bibles again to the book of Malachi and once again to chapter 3, that was where we will be here in just a couple of moments. As I was actually uh, had the, this lesson, at least the verse that we're going to cover this morning, on my list of sermons to preach for several years now, and for whatever reason, probably a variety of reasons, I just had not gotten around to preaching this particular sermon, but as I knew that Gavin and I were going to be looking at the book of Malachi today, uh, we decided that, I guess, a month or two ago, and as I read through the book over the last couple of weeks and thought about uh, this particular lesson, sometimes that is dangerous for a preacher. The more you think about it, the more you meditate upon it, the longer and the greater the sermon grows, but it's been my intention at least the last couple of weeks as I've really thought about this in earnest to not have this be a long sermon. And it may be shorter than I think because Gavin has already alluded to what I'm going to talk about and Brother Sonny has as well, but I don't think that that's really a bad thing. I mean, repetition is a good thing and God knows that we need repetition. Otherwise, why do we come together each Sunday? each first day of the week, to remember Christ. He knows that we need repetition. And so I hope that our lesson this morning will be helpful to you. I trust that it will because I believe it will be from God's Word. And I know that there will be something that each of us can take away from this lesson and look at our own lives and apply to ourselves. So today we are continuing to look at the minor prophet Malachi. In the first lesson at the assembly hour Our brother Gavin read the book for us. He gave a brief summary of what is in this book and then tried to narrow our focus really down on the main point or the main theme here in this short book. In this lesson at this hour, it is my intention to focus on one major lesson from this minor prophet, and that is the lesson that our brother Sonny referred to in his comments before taking up the collection this morning about trusting and testing God. And our lesson really is going to be taken from the passage that you see here on the screen, once again from Malachi chapter 3 at verse 10, where God is encouraging, He is urging and imploring His people to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that they may, there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. As we think this morning about these two concepts and trying to join them, to tie them together in trusting and testing God, I want us to think about just two points and to think about trusting and testing God from our vantage point, the challenge that God was presenting to His people, the challenge that God presents to us as His people today, and then to think about it from God's standpoint That as we trust Him and as we put Him to the test, that God made a commitment to His people and He makes a commitment to us as well. God's charge, if you go back and look at verse 9 here, as our brother Gavin mentioned to us in the, the early hour about the six charges, the six conversations, if you will, although it's kind of, in my mind, a one sided conversation. Because God is the one that is talking to his people, but he's also already anticipating and has already heard the many uh, accusations that his people have made against him. But as you come down to chapter 3 and verse 9, this here at this particular point in the text is the charge that God 
is making against his people that they are robbing him. And he is making this charge. Notice it says there in verse 9, the whole nation is involved in this. It's not just a select few individuals who are claiming to be his people. He is looking at the nation as a whole. Now, in saying the whole nation, I don't know that he's necessarily saying every individual, that there weren't some who were, could be classified as a remnant among God's people who were still being loyal and faithful to him. They were still offering tithes and offerings and contributions to him with the right heart, with the right attitude. But as God looks at his people as a whole... His charge against his whole nation was that of robbing him. They were people and had gotten to the point in their history where they were withholding these tithes and these offerings from him at verse 8, as he mentions here in giving this charge. And I think as Brother Gavin alluded to in his uh, lesson earlier, as we looked at the overview of the book of Malachi, that, that God was really saying to his people that you are withholding what I have commanded of you. You're withholding, especially as we think about the tithes, that would have been given out of their uh, abundance, that would have been given out of what they had worked and what they had earned to provide for the priesthood. The priesthood, of course, being God's messengers, God's servants that would help the Israelites in their worship and service to God in keeping the temple up and all of those things connected to the worship and service of God. As he mentions here about them withholding from him not only their tithes but also their offerings or their contributions. There are some people that think maybe that's talking about a specific kind of offering that would have been given to the priest. Maybe it's just thinking about an offering or contribution in general. But whatever the case is, God is charging his people with withholding that that they were supposed to give to him to do his work. It's not the case that God himself on a personal level needed their tithes or needed their offerings or contributions, but he was needing that so that his work could continue on. And so I see here the two, that there are two parts of God's challenge to his people then and now. The first part of God's challenge is found here at verse 10 to bring the whole tithe I kind of wonder, and I don't know if this is the case or not, but perhaps there is somewhat of a play on words as God mentioned as we just read back there at the end of verse 9. Here is the whole nation, the entire nation as it were, that is is robbing God, is not giving God what He has asked of them, what God is due, if you will. And then he turns around here in verse 10 and he says, I want you to bring the whole tithe. I don't want you to hold anything back. And so in saying this, God was saying really to his people, I want you to genuinely and sincerely and wholeheartedly trust in me and surrender yourself, surrender your possessions to me. He challenges us, I believe, as his people today to do the exact same thing, doesn't he? God is challenging us if we are children of his, if we are followers of his son. He is challenging us to hold absolutely nothing back. He is challenging us to be people who are freely and fully giving ourselves to Him. And we are doing that in every way possible. He is challenging us in our common vernacular today, at least in the sports world. God is challenging, was challenging His people then and is challenging His people now for us to be people that are all in with Him. That that we have put all of our eggs in one basket, as it were. That we're not keeping one foot in the world and keeping trying to keep one foot in His kingdom. But we are people who have totally and completely given ourselves to Him. And when we do that, as God goes on to say here at verse ten, when you bring the whole tithe into the storehouse of the temple 
there will be food in my house. There will be provisions for his people, he is saying, to accomplish the work that he had given them to do. And as we think about ourselves today, if we are trying to take these words, if we are trying to take this challenge that God, I believe, is continuing to issue to us today, that we're going to bring us where the whole tithe, we're going to fully and completely surrender ourselves to him in every facet of our life, that he will provide for us and others of his people to do the work that he has assigned us to do. And so that's the first part of the challenge that God issues here in this verse. But the second part of that is found in the second part of this verse. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this. I think it helps, at least it helps me sometimes to Read other translations, and I think that is certainly helpful here. If you're reading from the New King James Version this morning, it says that God was saying to his people of old, try me. The King James and the old American standards say, prove me. Uh, The NLT, the New Living Translation, says, try it, put me to the test. Uh, The Living Bible, which is not really a translation, it's just a paraphrase, and I wouldn't suggest us using that for our hardcore Bible study, but sometimes it does put things in a way that maybe we can understand it better. But it puts it this way. It says that God was saying to his people, try it, let me prove it to you. So what is God saying here as he is saying to his people, test me, as he is saying, try me or or, try it, let me prove it to you. Well, the word test, the Hebrew word that is translated into our English word test is The idea of what we had just talked about in those different translations. It is the idea of examining God, of closely examining Him. It's the idea of of really putting God under investigation, if you will, that we're going to investigate God. We're going to seek Him out and search Him out. It is the idea, as a couple of the older translations have, of proving or letting God prove Himself to us. It's the idea of trying God. That language as we read that is God is saying... Test me, at least as the New American Standard translates that, at first glance might kind of make us a little bit uncomfortable. (laughs) For God to think or offering to us, opening to us the invitation to come and to test him. God is certainly not telling his people then or now that we need to test him in the sense of trying his patience as Israel often did or testing his resolve through our distrust of him or our disobedience of his will. Israel, again, often did that throughout their history, didn't they? You can go back and read some passages. We're not going to take the time this morning, but in earlier in the Old Testament where God says, you were testing me. Even Paul alludes to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 as he begins that chapter by taking their minds and our minds back to the example of Israel of old. And he mentions there in verse 9, don't be like the Israelites who tried me or tested me in the wilderness And I took care of them, I I punished them, I disciplined them for that. But rather God is saying, check it out. God is saying, give me a try. God is saying, in essence, see for yourselves if I am more than willing and able to bless you beyond what you can possibly imagine. I want you to examine it for yourselves. I want you to investigate the matter and me for yourselves. And so I think, as I think about that particular challenge that God was issuing 
to his people then and continues to issue to us that there are some practical applications for us in that. First of all, with our money. Obviously, that is the setting, the context of this particular challenge that God is issuing to his people. If you were present last Sunday morning at the assembly hour, I I did a lesson in that hour on stewardship and specifically financial stewardship. And went back and looked at some wisdom, some some wisdom from the book of Proverbs that God is telling us over and over again throughout that book and in other places in the Bible. If you will just put me first in your budget, as it were, if you will put me first in all of the financial concerns and needs that you have, then I will take care of you. I will bless you far beyond measure. Now, I think Brother Sonny is right in his observations before our collection this morning. It's not so much that we are doing that for the purpose of God blessing us so that we can be rich, so that everybody can look at us and think, wow, if that's what it means to truly be a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ and a child of God, I want some of that. But it is the case that God is taking notice of us, isn't it? It is the case that God does know our hearts. He does know our motives. He is looking at our actions and one day we're going to be judged by those. And so God knows that when we are truly putting him first with our money, when we're not being like the Israelites, we're not being stingy, we're not trying to withhold things for ourselves, but we are putting him first, that we are testing him. We are trying him. And God will take care of us. But we can also think about with our time. For some of us, and maybe for a lot of us, time is even more precious than our money is. We we, we kind of want to be people who are selfish. We want to be people who are self-absorbed. We want to be people who want to do what we want to do when we want to do it. And that takes money, as we just talked about oftentimes, but that also takes our time. And sometimes it can be the case, as is popularly said, In our culture today, uh, this acronym FOMO, the fear of missing out on something, as we look at maybe the people that live around us, our friends, our family, the people that we work with, people that are worldly-minded especially, and we see all the fun that they seem to be having with their life and all the things that they get to experience in their life that we are not able to experience. And we say, no, I don't really want to give God all of my time. I want to keep some of it for myself that we can be just like the Israelites, that we're not bringing the whole tithe into the storehouse. We are not trying God. The third application I think about is in our prayers. And I don't know about you. I probably do know about you, but I'm just going to speak for myself this morning. But if you were present on Wednesday night, wasn't that a great prayer service that we had? I can't judge anybody's hearts, but I don't think there was anything fake or phony about that at all. That we were opening, truly opening our hearts and opening our minds to God. That we were pouring out our hearts to Him. We were laying before Him our cares and concerns on behalf of our brothers and sisters in Christ and those that they love. And sometimes it can be the case in our prayers that maybe we are a little bit timid, we are a little bit shy... Certainly as we pray to God, as we communicate to Him, whether it's praising Him or offering uh, thanks to Him or whether it's coming before Him with our petitions and requests, sometimes, and I think rightfully so, we ought to have a sense of reverence and awe for who God is because He is the Creator and we are the created. 
But it's also the case that God wants us to have a very close relationship to Him. And so I think our challenge sometimes in prayers, at least mine, is that we need to pray big with boldness because God can handle that. We made some very big requests, I think, of our great God in our prayers Wednesday night on behalf of those people that we love. God is certainly big enough. He is more than able to handle all of that. And the applications, I think, for this challenge can continue on and on. You can think about evangelism, that we ought to be very excited and bold in our evangelism as we try to tell people about Jesus Christ and the salvation that comes to Him, that we're not holding anything back, as it were. We're bringing the whole tithe into the storehouse because we trust God. And that remains our challenge, I believe, in every part of our life. Do we really trust God enough that we're going to try Him? But then let's think about the commitment that He makes to His people then and now. If the whole nation was going to accept the challenge that God gave them, He would make a big commitment to them. We've already alluded to this there at the middle part of verse 10. God says, if you will just do this, I will open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. God's commitment to pour out abundant blessings upon His people then, I think was a part of what He meant earlier in this text. If you go back to verse 7, God says there, From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? This statement that God makes to His people there at verse 7, that if you will first of all return to me, then I will return to you. I think that fits, at least in my mind, about this commitment that He is making to them. If you will just bring the whole of your tithes and offerings into the storehouse, then I will open the windows of heaven and bless you abundantly. If they could just rid themselves as we need to rid ourselves oftentimes of sin and selfishness, of stinginess, and if we could just fully trust God and fully give ourselves to Him, He is making the commitment to His people then and now that He will fully give Himself. He will fully give Himself to us. This commitment that God was putting upon Himself was a big commitment. But again, as we talked about in our prayers, we serve a big God, don't we? We serve a great God. We serve a grand God. And as God refers to Himself so often in this short book, as Gavin was reading this morning, I know in some of my preparation I ran across the number, but I couldn't remember it, and so... I was keeping, trying to keep track in my mind, but at least in the New American Standard, in just like 55 verses in these four chapters, there are 23 times that God refers to himself as the Lord of hosts. And that phrase brings to our mind that the one who is in charge of everything, the one who has everything under his control, the one who is the commander of the armies, this is the God not only just the God of Israel, as I think he is referred to once or twice here in this book, but he is the Lord of hosts. He is in charge of all. He has created all and he sustains all. And he knows exactly what is going on in his creation. And so God is making this big commitment because he is a big God. 
But God opening His heavenly window and showering His people with numerous divine blessings. Notice here in the next couple of verses in verse 11 that it would include for them pest protection. He says, then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it may not destroy the fruits of your ground. It may be the case that because they had turned into the kind of people that displeased God, as Brother Gavin brought to our attention this morning, they had become very much a faithless people as a whole. It may be the case that God had brought a literal drought to the land. And God had brought maybe locusts or other kinds of pests or bugs that were eating their crops. But God says, if you will just try me in this, if you will test me and bring your whole selves to me and commit yourselves fully to me, this is what I'm promising to do in very practical terms, that there will be protection in verse 11, that there will be security for your crops. He goes on to say there, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes that the, the fruit of the ground is not going to bitter or sour or go bad before the time of harvest, that there will be security in your crops. And then in verse 12, he says, if you will really try me and really fully commit yourselves to me in this way, there will be national prosperity and prestige. Verse 12, he says, all the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. I tell you what, for his people, these were some great blessings. These were some huge commitments that God was making to them. But how much more of a commitment has God made to us today, his people? He has certainly blessed us abundantly, many of us in this audience, if not most of us or all of us, in comparison especially to other people in the world and even people in our own country that God has made this commitment to us that He has blessed us as He is going to bless us physically, but more importantly than that, that God is going to bless us spiritually. And He is going to give us physical and spiritual blessings now that we can enjoy as we live here on earth. But how much more of a commitment has God made to us as we read in the pages of His book that He has promised that He is going to give us blessings abundant in the life that is to come, in the age that is to come. He is going to bless us forever, brothers and sisters, if we will but fully trust Him and we will try Him. And so to sum all of this up as we're thinking this morning about this idea of testing or trusting rather than testing God, I think we find our challenge in God's commitment all throughout Scripture. It is certainly present in the Old Testament, but it is also present in the New Testament and so as we bring this lesson to a close, I want us to just hear two texts very carefully that at least in my mind, among many texts, kind of sum up uh, what we are talking about here from Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10. And they make a great connection for us between this idea of trusting God and, and trying God or testing God in the sense of, of uh, investigating and experiencing Him. First of all, from the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 3 at verse 1 is the the wise man here is giving his son some words of wisdom to live his life by. He says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Notice verse 5. Very famous passage from Proverbs 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. I believe that's exactly what God was issuing or challenging his people to do back in the book of Malachi. You need to be people who have gotten to the point in your walk with me that you are willing to trust me with all of your heart. You're not following your own understanding because that leads to destruction but you are following me. You have totally committed yourselves to me. And notice that the wise man says to his son here at verse 6, if you will do this in every part of your life, that God will make your path straight. What greater blessing could there be than for God to lead us in the paths of righteousness, for God to help us stay the course And then from the New Testament, I think about the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ there in the message on the mountain in Matthew chapter 6 and another passage I think many of us know well. But it does, Jesus does a great job here of connecting these two ideas of trusting him and testing him. Verse 25, he says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is it not, is life, is not life rather more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And two of you by being worried can add a single hour to his life. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Doesn't Jesus say to that great multitude that's gathered there on the side of that mountain, you need to trust in God and just put that to the test. Because God is more than able, if we will truly make it our life's mission as we live here on earth, that we're going to, whatever else happens in our life, that first and foremost, we are going to seek God. We are going to seek His kingdom, His rule in our life. We are going to seek His righteousness in our lives. That God will take care of the things that we need. That takes trust. And that takes putting God to the test, trying Him. And so that remains, I believe, brothers and sisters and friends, our challenge today. So what about you as we come to the close of this sermon? Do you truly trust God? I mean, the Israelites of old, they would have said to that question, yeah, we trust God. But how many times throughout their history we find that they really didn't? If you say that you truly do trust God, do you trust Him to the point that you are carefully investigating and examining, yes, that you are testing and trying Him to see for yourself that He truly is faithful, that He is true to His Word? Because the message of Malachi, at least in this verse, is this, that if you and I will do that, our great God will more than prove Himself 
more than prove himself to be worthy of our trust. And he will bless us in the words of Paul as he closed that great prayer in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Our great God, if we will trust him and test him, he will bless us exceedingly, abundantly, and beyond all that we can ask or think. God's asking for our hearts as he was asking for the hearts of his people in the time of Malachi. As we're about to sing this song that our brother Xavier has selected as a song of invitation and encouragement, would you give him your heart? Would you give him yourself? Would you totally and fully and joyfully surrender yourself to him in whatever way you need to do that today? If you need to become a Christian, to give yourself totally to him. If as a Christian there's some part of yourself, your life, that you're trying to keep for yourself, don't hold that back from God. Give him, fully surrender yourself to him. If we can help you in that endeavor this morning, if we can help you in starting your walk with Christ, if we can help you if you veered off that path to get back on the narrow way, however we can be of help to you, if you need to respond to the invitation of Christ, won't you do that now as we stand in that?